At a time when investors are confronted with market volatility and a variety of challenges fueled by the uncertainty of inflation, unsettled geopolitical tensions, and economic pressures, Justin Klein and Steve Peasley stand ready to take your finance and investment questions and share their unbiased answers. This is Invest Talk, independent thinking, shared success. Invest Talk is made possible by KPP Financial, a registered investment advisor firm serving clients throughout the United States. The clarity for your path forward starts now. Here is KPP Chief Executive Officer, Financial Advisor, Justin Klein. Good afternoon, fellow investors, and welcome back to Invest Talk. This is our Monday, July 31st, 2023 edition. I'm Justin Klein, and yeah, we are one month into the third quarter, and the year is moving by fast, but uh, this show is an hour. The show is one hour for you, helping you make the most of your capital, your time, helping you avoid the counterproductive habits like chasing headlines, which are, are very common, as well as chasing returns, you, 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 using emotions to derive your, drive your decision-making process. Now, this is a very, I think, important time in the year. August and September often fairly volatile, just seasonality. Now, what drives that? I don't think anybody really knows, but seasonally, uh, September is the worst month, uh, and August is not far behind that. Now, does that mean you have to have a terrible uh, August and September? No, you don't. But we are entering a period of probably a little bit higher risk uh, going into the back half of, uh, of August. Um, so, you know, these are small factors that you have to take into an account when you're making your decision-making process. Or, or developing your decision-making process. And you know, a lot of people chase returns. They look back three months, six months, a year, and they extrapolate. And you know, every six months, every year in the markets is a little bit different, okay? They're, they're, they're often in most markets where, especially where there's normal interest rates, you, that's when you get a lot more generalized volatility. There's less discernible trends that are just easy to jump on. Um, and so it becomes even more important to not chase short-term movements. And it becomes even more important to focus on good companies, good investments that fit your time horizon, your risk tolerance level, and the economic environment that we are in. So that's what this hour is about, is to help you manage through the volatility and lack of volatility, right? There was a lot of volatility last year, not a whole lot of volatility this year outside of the banking crisis. But if you look at in microcosm, in, in, in retrospect, it was not really very volatile. It was a modest pullback in markets and we continued higher. And so that's what our main focus point today is really on is, is the hope of a soft landing realistic? That's what the market's kind of priced in but how much of that is liquidity driven? How much of that is actual confidence and strength in the underlying economy? So we're gonna parse out the details a little bit, okay? We're also gonna to touch on some other topics. One is in regards to the 
the jobs market, as well as how individuals are taking advantage of higher interest rates. Why higher interest rates, while most people think that they are going to tank the economy, in fact, in many ways, it's actually held up the economy. We're going to talk about why. And then lastly, bonds versus stocks, the value proposition of one versus the other in that higher interest rate environment. So a lot to unpack today. Uh, they all kind of play off each other, but certainly have their own merits and own uh, own ways to explain what's happening in markets and economies. So we're going to look at all of that. We also have some voice bank questions. One is on QuantumScape. The other is on Pro uh, on REK, which is the ProShare Short Real Estate ETF. And I have some iTunes review questions as well. And I also have a perspective on the solar energy industry. So this all planned for this episode of Invest Talk. So of course we'll take your live calls as well. Most importantly, at eight 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 ninety nine chart. Let's take a quick look at the market today. It was decidedly positive. We had a big rally early, uh, late, very late in the day. The last ten minutes or so was, was very, very strong. Uh, and for most of the part, most of the day, the S and P kind of was flattish, slightly up. Uh, we ended up about one quarter percent on the the broad large caps, small caps. They were the strongest up nearly 1%, mid caps up about a half a percent. So you really had that strength out of those those small caps. And uh, it was, that's a positive, right? That's overall a risk on sentiment when markets are putting more money towards those smaller, uh, less sure names, shall we say. And that was uh, the market for today. We are past the Fed news. We had the Bank of Japan news last week. We actually have the bond auction plan for the back half of the year. And they're going to be issuing, and when I say bond, the treasury bonds auction plan, and they're going to be issuing a lot of treasuries in the back half of the year, and that could uh, mean some changes in liquidity in the second half of the year. And that's part of the reason why I say, hey, there's probably some volatility, more volatility than we've seen in the back half of the year versus the first half. Right? Now let's head over to our first listener question now. Hello, Justin or Steve, Chris from New York. Just calling in because I was looking to add an oil stock to my portfolio. I was looking at Petrobras, PBR. Wanted to see your thoughts on the stock and if it would be a good buy. Thank you. Bye. Okay. Well, this is Petrobras, and this is one of those names that's been perpetually cheap. You look at the earnings and you look at the dividend, you say, uh, this looks so cheap. But there's a reason why it's cheap. It's a Brazilian company, and it's the largest integrated company in Brazil. But it's controlled by the Brazilian government which means that they can do pretty much and have done whatever they felt like with the earnings of this business. And if you look at the dividend, it's been wild, wild up and down and all around. So this is not a company that you're playing uh, for the dividend, okay? Because the dividend is not going to be sustainable or consistent. And but but you you're really playing on the stability of government finances in Brazil the government of Brazil which we know over the past number of years has been pretty volatile so you get a lot of risk there geopolitical risk currency risk with the brazilian real obviously now what you could say this is the best argument for this is you're bullish in brazil in general that Commodity prices are starting to rebound, 
are in an uptrend. They're in a longer term uptrend, which we we actually uh, believe that's that's true, and that's going to strengthen the currency. It's going to strengthen the government, and they're not going to need to raid the assets of Petrobras in order to achieve their political aims, because the country is just naturally going to prosper. And you've seen that in the past when oil prices are very high, when commodity prices are very high, they, they do very well. And that's really what you're playing here. So you're making a bet on Brazil. That's what Petro, Petrobras is. If you want to play oil, this is not the name for you. This is the name to bet on Brazil. And I'm not against that. I'm not necessarily against that because I do think there are a lot of tailwinds that can improve the situation in Brazil, economically, geopolitically. Doesn't mean it won't be without problems. It's just going from you know a very volatile situation to maybe a modestly volatile situation. And that can drastically change the way the market discounts Brazilian assets. And that's why Petrobras is in a nice uptrend. It's uh, bottomed back in December of around $9 per share, and now it's at nearly 15 So know what you are playing here. If you want to play Brazil, this is fine. If you want to play oil, find a different name that operates in more uh, stable regions and guess and isn't controlled by a volatile government. Say that. Now, if we head into a break, let me tell you about a new video feature we are producing. It's called the Invest Talk Sector Spotlight. It's free right now over on YouTube. And the first episode talks about the technology sector and its rapid innovation. We discuss artificial intelligence, blockchain, cloud computing, and software as a service. The Invest Talk Sector Spotlight, you can find now over on YouTube. And guess what? We're actually coming with a new one tomorrow on the energy sector, so be on the lookout for that. So my phone lines are open, waiting for your questions at 888-99-CHART. Justin Klein talks about the KPP Financial Premium Newsletter. I want to remind you that this is a time where you probably need some guidance and you're tuning in to try to get our view of the markets. And we only have an hour here. And and sometimes the way I distill each day can be maybe not enough, maybe not enough time. And so our premium newsletter is a great tool for especially newer investors trying to learn some things. The KPP Financial Premium Newsletter comes to your mailbox every Saturday. Learn how to analyze the market, learn what the economic numbers mean, learn how to manage a portfolio, maybe get an idea of what are good companies to be at least looking at. Maybe you don't buy it today, but you should always have a watch list of companies that, hey, these are interesting, these have good businesses. And if they get the right price, maybe I should buy them. So our newsletter is a great tool for that. Subscribe anytime at investtalk.com. Everybody wants a secure financial future, but getting there takes strategy, discipline, and the right information. That means you'll have finance and investment questions. Justin Klein is ready to provide his unbiased answers. So don't forget to call Invest Talk 888-99-CHART. Now, my focus point today looks in the story behind this headline. Is the hope of a soft landing realistic? And you know, inflation has been slowing. 
And the economy has been slowing as well. And you see this in things like freight railroad volumes declining. Construction firms are cutting back on uh, equipment purchases. Uh, Companies uh, are still hiring, but at a much lower level. And a lot of times they're not laying off workers either. And that's kind of the shift that we're seeing. You know, they're very easy to lay off workers during the pandemic. And they had a lot more problems with rehiring than they had expected when they needed to bring workers back on. And so they're kind of scarred by that. And so they don't want to go into a situation where, hey, the economy reaccelerates maybe next year, and now they don't have enough workers. And so those retained workers continue to spend their paychecks, maybe at a slower rate, but they're still spending. And so that's why you continue to see economic data come out that's pretty solid. Consumer spending, inflation cooled to 3% in June. Wage growth is elevated, but uh, has slowed. So the inflation side is looking better. The economic side is looking mostly fine, except for the goods part of the economy. But that's a quarter of our economy. Now, a lot of economists, business owners, especially if you do those soft surveys where you, you, people just call up business owners and ask how they think the economy is, are we going into recession, et cetera. Those surveys have been pretty wrong over the past year or two because it's about opinion and not real facts on the ground. And so what they've been saying is that due to higher interest rates, higher inflation, it would prompt companies to fire workers. That would pe- get people to stop spending. And there would be some sort of downward spiral and that they're using a playbook that in a lot of ways doesn't apply right now in the post-pandemic era. And that's why I've said, we've been continuing to say this is a different environment. And so instead, companies are doing things like cross-training employees and they're using technology to cut costs. And frankly, this is what businesses tend to do at the start of a, a, an economic slowdown anyway is they don't want to fire workers. Fire working, fire, it's a lot easier to implement a new piece of software across your workforce that's going to make their lives easier and the business more efficient and effective than it is to hand out a bunch of pink slips. And so efficiency is the name of the game right now. According to a Wall Street Journal survey of 670 entrepreneurs, seven, only 7% of small business owners tend to reduce uh, intend to reduce their workforce this year. And many say they still face hiring problems. So layoffs broadly remain pretty rare. And remember, consumer outlays account for two-thirds of economic activity. So when people aren't getting laid off, they will continue to spend. And so even though two-thirds of small business owners said they had taken one or more steps to cut costs in the previous six months, and they, the same percentage pretty much say they're going to do the same in the future. They also don't plan to cut workers. So really, this is about businesses becoming more efficient. And ultimately, that's good. That's good for the economy overall. No, no economy should be about wasting money. Now, we're going into a quick break. Please remember that you can call anytime and leave your questions on the Best Talk Voice Bank. Or if you're listening via the live stream on AM 1220 in Silicon Valley, you can call now at 888-99-CHART.
Justin Klein is here and ready to take your calls live. Invest Talk, 888-99-CHART. Hi, Steve and Justin. This is John here. I really enjoy the show and just had a question about stock ticker REK. It's a pro shares short real estate. I know it's probably more speculative than um, you all like to invest in. Basically, my theory is with rising inflation, which I believe is not going to be transitory, that real estate is going to get rocked. Um, I think homeowners are going to be in a pinch with uh, rising inflation, and they're going to have issues making their mortgage payments, uh, foreclosures I I foresee going up. And I just think it would be a a good short-term play, but I'm interested to hear your all's opinion. Thank you. Bye. I think a simple answer is no. I don't think this is a – This here's the issue. This is a perfect example of how the average person looks at the economy through the lens that they've experienced. And this is part of human nature. But if you go back in history and you look at downturns in the economy, major downturns, not minor downturns, major downturns in the economy – It's pretty much never the same catalyst, the same epicenter that caused the last downturn. Why is that? Because in human nature, humans are designed. We're designed to learn from the past. And our memory of the past is typically very short. We're most colored by the last downturn. And we use that as a blueprint for the next one. And in reality, we've done a lot of things to prevent that previous catalyst from happening again. For example, regulation was put in place on how strict banks needed to be when it comes to getting a mortgage. And that's why getting a, you ever got a mortgage lately in the last 15 years? It is incredibly difficult and painful and there are a million hoops to jump through. Why? Because of what was put in place post-financial crisis and on top of that, Banks aren't just giving out liar loans anymore. They're giving out loans only to people that have high credit ratings. And therefore, you're not going to have the same type of situation naturally because we fixed a lot of those problems. Now, eventually, 20, 30, 50 years down the line, do we loosen those requirements and we get kind of complacent and things happen again the same way, same way as they did in, in, in the early 2000s? Sure, it could happen, but it's not going to be the next downturn. Something we aren't paying attention to. Just look at COVID. Obviously, that was brief and quick, and you know that was kind of an anomaly. But why a why focus on, on on real estate when that's probably not going to be the epicenter of this problem? Now, maybe commercial real estate because commercial real estate, example, we didn't learn a lot of lessons because that wasn't the epicenter of the last crisis. It was residential. So if you can find a way to short office, maybe. But it's a pretty small niche market. And then on top of that, just go look at the trends in, for example, home construction continues to power to the upside. And you're mainly shorting here. You're mainly shorting REITs. And some of these REITs are actually doing better in this environment. You're you're shorting a REIT index. So you're not even really betting on the downfall of just Residential real estate, you're talking about real estate more broadly, and there are pockets of strength, there are pockets of weakness, and I don't just don't see the overall risk versus reward doesn't add up to me here. 
So I see no reason to go short real estate. I don't necessarily think it's going to be the best place to be. Um, in aggregate, I also don't think it's going to be the worst place to be. Right. Let's invest talk. Let's keep things moving and play two in a row from eight at eight ninety nine chart. Hello, invest talk. This is Mike from Texas. I was looking into Metafast ticker M E D. They have a good price to sales ratio. Uh, enterprise valued EBITDA is about four or five. Uh, they have a great return on equity, great return on assets, and return on invested capital. Uh, they do have a 6% dividend, but it looks like the payout ratio is only about 51% at this time. It appears that they're buying back shares, and I'm not seeing much long-term debt. I was just curious if I can have your thoughts on this company moving forward, and I will listen to your answer on the podcast and appreciate everything that you guys do. Thank you. All right, looking at MetaFast, and this is a small cap at a $1.1 billion market cap. I like that they don't have any debt. I like that they're buying back shares. Now, their business boomed during the pandemic, people trying to lose weight, and that's what they produce. They manufacture and distribute weight loss and disease management products and other health and diet products. And this boomed during the pandemic. Once again, hit a high of nearly $340 per share. Now it's at 101 the recent low was at $77, so it's rallied a bit. Uh, it, it, I would say it does look cheap based on what it's currently earning. The problem is earnings are expected to decline pretty nicely from $14.49 last year to only $7.95 this year and $8.88 next year. So even based on forward-looking earnings, you're talking about 12 times in a shrinking business. You know, I don't think – I wouldn't say it's overvalued. I wouldn't say it's undervalued either. I think what you're doing is you're looking based on previous, you know, the last year's earnings, and you're not extrapolating what's out like, likely to happen going forward. So I don't hate it because I don't think it's overvalued, but I don't think it's a bargain either. Uh, I like that it's a solid business. I think that dividend is is fine for now. Uh, you know they don't have any debt, so that certainly helps keep that dividend sustainable. Um, so I think it's okay. I but I don't think it's a screaming buy uh, quite yet. Okay. Now the next invest talk, we look at the story behind this headline. There might be good news for investors looking for high quality, undervalued companies. That story tomorrow. But for now, I'm Justin Klein, ready to take your questions live at eight 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 ninety nine chart eBay Motors is here for the ride. Remember when you first saw the potential? And then through some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. Look to your left. Look to your right. It is official. No one's got a ride like this. There's nothing else that sounds like, feels like, or looks like the set of wheels in your garage. With over 122 million parts, you can make sure your number one ride or die stays running smoothly so there's no limit to how far you can take it. Brake kits, turbochargers, engines, exhaust kits, roof racks, LED headlights, bumpers, whatever your baby needs, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus, at these prices, well, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Welcome.
One of the most rewarding things I do each weekday is host the Invest Talk podcast. I truly enjoy helping investors, and I know that every question counts and every answer I provide will be unbiased. You, the caller, get to chart the course for each Invest Talk podcast. Call with your questions anytime, day or night, 888 99Chart. Hi, Stephen Justin. This is Art from Tucson calling in about a uh, small potential growth stock. I have a portfolio of mostly value stocks and uh, very small positions in a couple of growth stocks, specifically QuantumScape. I bought it a couple years ago, maybe a half position. It's been way down for a long time, starting to rally back on some promise that it may actually um, create a solid state battery at some point that uh, would revolutionize the whole EV sector. So wondering what you think at this point, is it worth adding to, or should I just kind of hold out and see what happens with it? I invested in it, figured I'd hold on to it for a long, long term and see, uh, totally willing to see it go to zero that happens or to see it bust through and, and change, change the industry. Anyway, would love to hear your thoughts on it. And I'll listen on the podcast. Thank you. All right. This is QuantumScape. And this is the name. I know Steve was uh, interested in this name a, a while ago. I always said it seems like a lot of hype and a whole, not, not a whole lot of substance. Uh, but maybe they'll eventually get there. And you know, it's been probably a couple of years since this got on uh, most people's radar. Uh, but it's been steadily issuing shares, burning cash, like most small story stocks do and you had earnings report report and like most of these types of names it's not about the earnings report it's about the progress that these companies are making you know i kind of like think of this as a biotech stock there's they're working on development they're trying to figure out a way to uh, take this small scientific wrinkle and turn it into a scalable economic product. And according to QuantumScape, they did a couple things in the last quarter that the market really liked. Now, the first is they shipped, they shipped some of their high cathode loading unit cells to several automakers. Now, what I would say is that sounds like they sent out some samples. I, I don't know how, how much you can really glean off of that. Companies send samples to potential manufacturers all the time. Will they pick them up? Maybe. Can they use these in any real form? I think they're, uh, the automakers will probably put effort towards it because it could be a differentiator for them. But... That's all it is. They sent out a, a few samples. Now, they also talked about making progress in their manufacturing capabilities. But that kind of speaks to if, hey, even if these automakers say, we like your product, we can implement it into a, a car, what does it cost? Well, a lot of that depends on their manufacturing capabilities and how scalable that is, which is another challenge that they have to get past. So it's not just selling it to these end uh, OEM 
manufacturers, but actually being able to manufacture at scale and at its at a price that is viable, right? Because they could say, I love the product. We can make it into a car. What's the cost per unit or whatever? And this and that's going to make the car cost $300,000. Is that viable? No. So the, that, that, that's what you have to figure out here is how real is this? And, and remember, the management has a lot of incentive to hype up the stock. So I don't really see anything that I can grasp onto here that tells me they're into the next phase. If they can have some other breakthroughs, like actually selling the product, saying Ford's going to pick it up or uh, Chrysler's going to pick it up or uh, Mercedes is going to pick it up, whatever. That's one thing. But just saying you sent out some samples, that's not enough for me to get excited. But if you want to have some position in it as a small part of your portfolio, I'm not against it if you believe in the technology. Now, my perspective today looks at the solar industry, and it's a long, long history. And what's interesting here is that in spite of a lot of technological advancements, utility-scale electric generation in the United States from solar energy is still a very small percentage. Now, last year, the utility-scale electric generation facilities in the United States derived about 60% of U.S. electricity from fossil fuels, still six zero coal, natural gas, petroleum, and other types of gases. 18% came from nuclear, 22% came from renewable energy sources such as solar, and that's only about 3.4% of that 22% is solar and thermal, okay? So photovoltaic and thermal solar energy. Hydropower, about 6.2% of the renewable portion. Now, solar and wind produce energy, produce energy cannot yet supply on-demand base load, and it, it never will, right? Because you can't control when the sun is shining, when the wind is blowing. I know here, I, I live in Laguna Beach, usually all summer, it's, it's sunny. It's been on and off all summer. Can't control that. Now, let's look back at the history of solar energy. And you might be surprised to know that solar energy has been used since the third century, the Greeks and Romans used it to use mirrors to light torches for religious ceremonies. You had uh, you had ancestors that uh, used to shine, basically use magnifying glasses to light fires. So solar use of solar energy is nothing new. Now the. The person credited with inventing solar cells was actually back in 1839. Edmund, I don't know how to say this, Bequerel? Bequerel? He's French, so I don't speak French. But he determined that light could increase electricity generation when two metal electrodes were placed into a conducting solution. And so he's credited with discovering the photovoltaic voltaic effect. And that's the principle of most solar cells. In 1873, an English electrical engineer, Willoughby Smith, discovered the photoconductivity of elements selenium that led to the invention of photoelectric cells, including those used in the earliest TVs. Now we use silicone instead of selenium, and that was started actually in Bell Labs in 1954. 
they were created accredited with inventing the first silicon photovoltaics voltaic cell and that started the industry now the cost has dropped dramatically throughout the years 1956 solar cost roughly $300 per watt by 1975 it dropped to $100 per watt and today it costs about 50 cents per watt since the 19, year 1980 solar panel prices have dropped by at least 10% every single year except for recently and that's what's interesting here is how will the solar industry evolve as we move away from China producing super cheap solar cells at a loss that's basically what they did what, what they've been doing for over a decade and they do it in a very dirty way using coal as the energy input for the manufacturing process so how green really is it when it's coming from China I think that's a big kind of question mark and so this is uh, an industry that that's uh, it's innovation at least on the price side, I think it's slowing down in, in, in an era where supply chains aren't as easy as they used to be, right? It's a lot stickier, okay? So that was a brief history of the solar industry, and I, it's come a long way. I think it will continue to make headway due to just research and development, R&D across the sector, uh, uh, both government and private uh, companies, and I think this will once again, evolve, but probably not have the same cost curve drop like we saw over the past 30 years. Now, let's pivot back to the Invest Talk Voice Bank at 888 chart. Hi, Steve and Justin. I'm calling on a question on the stock Genko Shipping and Trading, GNK. I'm looking to get into the stock and wanted to get your opinion overall and what you think a good entry point is thank you so i'll be listening to the answer on your show all right this is genko shipping and it's an international shipping company specializing in the transportation of iron ore coal grain steel and other dry bulk cargos and typically i like that part of the shipping industry but historically the dry bulk shippers are extremely volatile. This is one of the most volatile subsectors in the market. Why is that? Because they have very large chips that cost a lot of money. And if you're trying to ship something, you probably just don't care who ships your product. You just want it to get there and you want the cheapest price. And so there's pretty much no economic moat around these businesses. And so historically, they've gone from having decent profits to major losses. And really, post-financial crisis, up until 2021, nearly 12, 13 years, this company had negative return on equity, negative return on assets. And what did they do? They just burned capital. They issued a ton more shares. They did that in 2017. It went from 7 million shares outstanding all the way to 34 million shares outstanding. Now 42 million shares outstanding. And they borrow a bunch of money. But as of late, their business has been good. Technically, you know, it's doing okay. It's pulled back from its high in March of uh, around $20 per share. 
hit a bottom around 12, and now we're at 14. Still below, it's 100-day moving average, 200-day moving average. Technicals are neutral to, to bearish. And I just don't love businesses like this. They tend to lose a lot of money in, in, in rough times. And when they make good money, it's for short periods of time. 2021 and 2022, they made good money. $3.77 last year. Only supposed to make $1.49 this year. $2.49 next year. And analysts are already downgrading those earnings expectations. So I want companies with an economic moat. This is what I call a price taker, not a price maker. They're just taking the price that's out there in the market. And I don't typically like those businesses. So I'm absolutely passing on GNK, Genco, Shipping, and Trading. Now let's pivot and talk about interest rates. It's, the, it's all the rage these days. It's a new environment. A lot of people don't, aren't used to it. They're not used to earning money on their cash. And interest rates are hovering around the highest levels in more than two decades. And while a lot of people are pointing to higher interest rates as going to tank the economy, if you look at the actual data, American households are earning an, an additional $121 billion from income on their investments annually versus one year ago. Now you juxtapose that with the higher or the increase in interest payments of only 151 billion on mortgages, credit cards, and other loans. So remember, cash rates are floating. Most people's other debt, especially their mortgage, is fixed, fixed at 3%. So are interest costs higher than the additional amount people are earning from the in income from their investments? Yes, but not very much. 30 billion annually, that's a drop in the bucket in consumer spending in the, in the broader economy. So is it a headwind? For some, some sectors more than others. That's why I say, if you are in a sector or operating a sector or looking at a sector that is highly interest rate dependent, Yes, it's going to have a, an outsized impact. But in aggregate, across the total economy, it's mild. Yields on three and six months treasuries at about 5.5%. That's the highest since 2001. Money markets, CDs, all offering you know over 5%. And so everyone locked in during easy money policy, these low interest rates. Even corporations, in a lot of ways, borrowed a ton of money at very low rates two, three years ago. And now you have wages rising as well. You have Social Security recipients getting a 9% boost in their payments this year versus last. You think they're feeling a bit wealthier? Their costs aren't going up 9%, especially retirees been shown a lot of them don't drive so they don't feel gasoline prices they might feel food prices maybe their electric bill a little bit but in aggregate most retirees don't feel the full effect of inflation but they get that full nine percent boost in social security but in aggregate yes rates are higher but people aren't seeing a reset in their costs higher in, in a material way in aggregate, yes, of course, certain people are. But you're looking at the economy as a whole. That's what the market looks at. 
So consumer confidence is at the highest level in two years because of, they feel wealthier and there's a tight labor market, so they don't feel like they're going to get laid off. And so many people that got burned during the, when all the, uh, the meme stocks blew up, now they're pulling back and investing in a lot safer investments like CDs, money market, etc. Now this is Invest Talk. I'm Justin Klein. We have one goal here is to help you achieve your own version of financial freedom. And our work continues after this final break. So get your questions in now at 888-99-CHART. Each day, Invest Talk listeners submit their finance and investment questions via phone or email. Would you like your question to be put near the top of the list? Just take a minute or two to leave a review and rating for Invest Talk at iTunes. And be sure to include a brief question with your iTunes review comments. My name's James. I'm from Georgia. I'm just wondering about what you think about MU, Micron. I'm in it about $71 a share. And I'm thinking about adding more because it looks like a really good fundamentally sound company, but just wanted to know what your general thoughts on the company are and uh, if you would add more to a position. Thanks. All right, looking at Micron, and this is a very large cap chip maker, $78 billion market cap. Now, earnings are expected to go negative this year and next year, but those expectations are starting to improve. So what they do is they make flash memory and image sensors for computers, servers, electronic devices, etc. And that's why they have such high, uh, such high sales trailing 12 months. It looks like their sales are around I mean, eight, uh, 15 billion. So a lot of sales. But because the everyone bought a bunch of things during the pandemic, electronic devices especially, not as much need for these products. Now, the stock, though, if you look at the trends, especially since the lows in October, it's been on a nice uptrend. Bought around $48 per share. Now we're at 71 Had good earnings announcement recently. Even though sales were down 57%, remember it's about what management thinks going forward. And that's what, what pushed it up, is the guidance going forward. And it was better than most people had expected uh, on margins and uh, on sales. And so I'm, I'm fine with it. I think that things are improving with this. You, you've seen uh, the business, I think, bottom out as of late, and it's already you're starting to see that upgrade in expectations, and that's really when you, uh, the best time to own a, a name is when the future expectations are pretty bad, but they're starting to improve, especially when you have a, in a business that typically is pretty solid. Its longer term return equity is in the mid teens, so I like that. So I'm going to give Micron a thumbs up on those improving business fundamentals. All right. Now, lastly, let's touch a bit on the difference in yields between stocks and bonds. And a lot of people don't think of it this way, but there is what is called an equity risk premium. And what that is, is taking the earnings yield of the market, which is the P ratio divided by one. Okay. So if the P ratio of the market's 20, 
20 divided by 1 is 5, right? So then you have, um, it's 5%, excuse me, 5%. And so that's the earnings yield on the S&P 500 is 5%. Then you compare that to what it, you're getting on a 10-year treasury, which is right around 5, 5.5% right now, or actually 4%, excuse me, short term is 5. 10-year treasury, right around 4 so the premium right now is around 1.1% over the last week. And that's the narrowest it's been since 2012. That's called the equity risk premium. Now, that is a pretty good proxy long-term for the prospects for stocks versus bonds. And that premium, the equities premium has dwindled really throughout the year because equities have gone up, 10-year treasuries kind of gone sideways, and that's why it's narrowed. Now, a lot of people say, well, that argues for stocks to go down. Well, let me back up here. And the lesson here is that valuation is a terrible short-term timing tool. If you look back in history, there's no statistical relationship between earnings yield and 10-year treasury yields, either real or nominal, and yields going out a year or three years. Now, 10 years, yes, but it can correct in various ways. You can have interest rates go down to widen that gap, right? Or you can have earnings go up and then the P ratio drop and that yield widen out, that earnings yield widen out while prices you know, for equities stay the same. So it doesn't mean that equities have to drop. They could. But I wanted to highlight that because you'll probably see this, you know, it'll be like a zero hedge article or something like that. And it's just a reminder that valuations are terrible timing tools, even though they can tell you a lot about what to expect for equity or asset prices longer term. I'm Justin Klein. This is another Invest Talk program. Steve Peasley and I thank you for listening and encourage you to tell your friends and family about our free podcast downloads, which you can find anytime at iTunes, Spotify, or Google Play, and be sure to rate and review on iTunes. And it's official. We have now surpassed the 54.5 million download mark since it all began. Thanks to you, independent thinking, shared success. This is Invest Talk. Good night. Invest Talk is a trademark of KPP Financial. Because of the nature of the interactive dialogue inherent in the format of this program, it's important for the listener to understand that not all comments made will apply to them. Specifically, nothing said shall be taken to be investment advice, or shall statements on this program be considered an offer to buy or sell security. Because such advice is rendered solely on an individual basis, and at times will require that the investor review a prospectus before investing. InvestTalk is a copyrighted program of Klein, Pavlis, and Peasley Financial, a registered investment advisor firm which retains all rights. For more information regarding KPP's investment advisors, call 1-800-557-5461. Steve Peasley is president and Justin Klein is chief executive officer of Klein, Pavlis, and Peasley Financial. Thank you for listening, and your comments and questions are welcome on our 24-hour listener line at 888-99-CHART.